0: Welcome to the next episode of the Carrots and Cake podcast. Today, I have a special guest and longtime friend, Theodora Blanchfield. Um, We go way back. And if you're an old follower of Carrots and Cake and Preppy Runner, and then you changed it. What's the new name? I don't even know. I changed it and I changed it back. Oh, you did? Okay.
1: Whatever. It's still prepping. That's what I
0: was Googling (laughs) last night when I was trying to find old photos. But anyways, I have Theodora here, but we go way back. We used to have so much fun running and shenanigans. And I don't even know, but we had some good times. And I mean, we were just talking before this about how much things have changed and how life is so different now. But Theodora, very excited to have you here and just wanted to... Thank you for being here, and then also wanted to hear what the heck you've been up to. So do you want to give us a little little background on what you've been up to? That is an excellent question,
1: and thank you so much for having me. Um, well, yesterday I finished grad school. Hey. Um, I went back to get my master's in clinical psychology to become a therapist, um, state of California allows me to give therapy to people now, which is wild. (laughs) (laughs) I have moved to California. Um, So yeah, a lot has changed in my life, Mm -hmm. Um, which all kind of started um, 2015. My mom got diagnosed with cancer. Um, She passed away in 2017. Um, So I had always been like, kind of dealing with mental health stuff before, mostly anxiety, which is also mostly from just kind of putting too much on my plate, Mm -hmm. which we will talk about later, (laughs) because that is certainly something that we both share. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting. I was kind of starting to struggle a little bit with depression before my mom even got sick. So like in, in some ways I'm almost glad that I was because I was already in therapy and like I had started medication so I like at least already had those things in place before shit hit the fan I can curse
0: oh yeah 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 That's I mean it's great. not a lot of it but I do
1: great because <laughs> you know good I'm from New Jersey I can't help it <laughs> um yeah and then my mom got sick in November of 2015 passed away 2017 2017 i mean it would have been enough if my mom had died but it wasn't just that i lost my job i had to give up my dog bailey who tina knew very well mm-hmm. um for a long time readers he's still alive and well he's just in georgia um on a
0: farm living
1: <laughs> and we were like he's not he- actually on a farm but like yeah he's on a farm <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so I had to get up my dog lost my mom lost my job and like adding insult to injury like had a breakup um mm-hmm. it was just a fling but it was just the idea of it on top of everything so yeah so needless to say I kind of fell apart and I went into a really, really deep depression, Mm -hmm. Um, which now looking back, I can kind of be like, yes, of course you did. But of course, at the time I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just get it together? Well, because your life fell apart. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it was really dark, like, I mean, trigger warning, I attempted suicide twice. Um, I was hospitalized the first time in 2018. It happened again in 2019. I mean, and it was just deja vu. I was in like the exact same hospital room and like just the same exact procedure it was also a Sunday night. And I was like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And they kind of asked me that if I wanted to be hospitalized, and I was like, no, nah, I'm good, um, because I knew that, like, kind of being hospital hospitalized in that way, like, they're just trying to keep you safe, like, not actually working through things, so I ended up going to residential inpatient treatment for six weeks in San Diego, um, and it obviously literally saved my life, um, but it also really changed my life too and kind of really had me like putting myself first for the first time in my life um and like helping me start to believe in myself and start to see some of this stuff in myself that other people had been seeing for a while and I was like now you're crazy
0: (laughs) yeah I mean you have been through such a journey and it's just funny to like think back of like They're like carefree days in New York City and and drinking beer. And like, you're so young and innocent. Right. Not innocent, but. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I just think about what you've been through, what I've been through. I mean, it's like, but you come out on the other side and you just have like so much perspective. And I mean, obviously, you know, this experience inspired you to go back to school. So I mean, what was that, you know, thought process or, you know, how did that all come about? I mean, that was a big, big jump big change.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I So when I got laid off in 2017, I had absolutely loved my job. I'd been there for four years. Um, but kind of towards the end, it was more like, I loved the company. I loved my coworkers. I was doing social media and I was just so over it by then. I was so burnt out. I was like, cool. I'm just like, burn content into a black hole. My life is ruled by an algorithm. (laughs) So I was already kind of questioning what I was going to do next. And when I got laid off, I like, I really just didn't want to interview. And I, my company had been really good when my mom was sick about giving me a lot of flexibility and knowing I could get my work done anywhere. And um, I started really valuing that flexibility. So um, I did freelance writing for a while, Um, and so after treatment, I moved here to LA, I'm in LA now, um, in 2019, and, you know, I was freelancing, but I was in a new city, um, and I was just working from home, so, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I went back to school to meet people, like, that's not true, but um, uh, I was kind of at a point of again feeling like something had to change and I was kind of like okay I either am gonna get like an office job but then I was like I don't I don't really like want to work in editorial. like I don't I don't want to do that anymore I'd been thinking of going back to school but I had been telling myself this story that I was too much of a hot mess and you know if I was depressed like was it like the blind leading the blind? And um, I finally, I just kind of decided to kind of take a leap of faith. And I realized after the fact that I'd been thinking about it longer than I even let myself acknowledge, um, like 2017, I found an email. I'd like sent an email to NYU asking for information about their school of social work, um, which I totally forgot about. So Yeah. I mean, like another part was part of my freelance writing was writing a lot about my own journey. And I got so many amazing emails and messages of people saying, you know, this is really helping me. Um, And also people just like really also hurting so much. And I so often like just wanted to reach through the screen and one, give them a hug. Mm -hmm. Um, but two, like I wanted to help them. And I like really wanted to start working one-on-one and not just like broadcasting to many people. And I wanted to start making it less about me. Mm -hmm. Um, because at that, also by the point that I had Moved here, I my mental health had definitely improved, and I was like, "All right, I'm not so much of a hot mess. I don't have as much to write about anymore."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you decided to do that. I mean, obviously, you know, you took something like really hard and turned it into something really positive. Um, but you know, doing this whole grad school thing, like, what do you think have been like the biggest like takeaways, or you know, just getting that education and kind of like weaving it in with what you've experienced?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is like, I obviously didn't do this for my own personal healing. However, I mean, it's kind of hard to learn this much about psychology Mm -hmm. and not like apply it to yourself. Um, And, you know, kind of part of like what we talk about in supervision, it's like what supervision is for people who don't know is, you know, before you're a licensed therapist, you're working under someone's license. So supervision isn't there's someone in the room with you, which sounds like it would both be wonderful and scary all at once. Um, Like help, help throw me a lifeline. But supervision, you like talk about your cases every week. But like part of talking about that is also like, okay, how is that making you feel? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there's kind of like different schools of thought, different theories about like how much of yourself to bring into the therapy room. But, you know, like even if what the client is seeing is kind of a blank slate, which is not really the kind of person, the kind of therapist I wanna be. I mean, also because if a client goes to Google me, they are not a blank slate. <laughs> <laughs> um but you can't help but bring yourself into the room
0: um (laughs) no I can relate I mean I just think about you know my own experience with UC and hormonal imbalance and all that and I mean becoming an FDN I mean obviously like I took so much of that information and applied it to myself but yeah I mean the ultimate goal is to help other people. Cause I mean, how can you not after going through something so huge in your life just to be, I mean, maybe some people don't think this way, but like, I just feel like now that I know this stuff, I have to share it with people. I can't just like, yes, exactly. Myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It like almost kind of starts feeling
0: selfish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like you do, you have something to offer. So it's like, why not? Why not try to help people? Um, so one thing that I know has been helpful along your journey is ketamine. And I feel like this is something that has been popping up a lot, just like in media. And I don't even know, I've been just like hearing, like you mentioned it to me a while ago and I was like, what in the world are you doing? And then (laughs) now I keep hearing it, but I would love for you to talk about what it is, what it's all about, how it's helped you all the good stuff.
1: Yeah. So like starting a little broader first, like, I think that, I mean, one, the pandemic obviously showed literally everybody how important caring for your mental health is but I think like even broader than the pandemic like the past couple years like this is just like a good time this is gonna like come out as like a weird sentence a good time to be caring about your mental health and like if like if you are struggling like there's a lot more options than there used to be um you know I think both in terms of like different kinds of talk therapy Um, but also like different medications and different treatments, Um, you know, like a lot of traditional antidepressants, you know, don't necessarily work well for everyone. There's some stat of like, and this is a big difference, but it's either like a third or two thirds of people, like the first one they try is not the right one. Um, You know, so and also like the traditional antidepressants have been around a long time. So there's a lot of innovation right now is kind of where where I'm getting at. Um, You know, like psychedelics are kind of having a moment and like MDMA, um, which is also wild to me that these are all these things that we previously thought of as recreational drugs. And, you know, I mean, I kind of think about it of like well, like, yeah, they're making people feel good recreationally. Like, isn't there something to that? You know, it's obviously that then a fine line between abuse. But so anyway, so ketamine is also one of those things. And I so when I moved here, um, I mean, I think intellectually, I knew going to treatment wouldn't just solve all of my problems. I knew moving to California wouldn't solve all of my problems. Um, My old therapist as I was moving was like, you know, moving to California is not going to cure your depression. I was like, okay, all right, lady. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think somewhere deep down, like, yeah, of course I wanted this to be true. Um, So yeah, so I moved here and, you know, I was definitely doing better than I had been. I had kind of set that bar low. <laughs> so I had to be doing better. Um, you know, but I was still struggling and I still, I was back on a more functional level. I was able to work more than I had been able to work before, but I still just wasn't feeling like myself. And that felt really frustrating. Like I just I just kind of felt dead inside. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I've moved to this place. I've always wanted to live. Like I'm kind of living my dream and still feels kind of flat. So I was talking to my psychiatrist whom I absolutely adore. And it's funny, I actually ended up writing an article about this, which you can link to in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> but we had this conversation and there were two things that came out of the conversation. And one was that I should look into ketamine Mm -hmm. and the other was that I should get a dog. And so the dog, she had just gotten a dog. She loved her dog. And she's like, yeah, I remember how happy your other dog made you. Mm -hmm. I think you really need a dog. So we hung up. She texted me a picture of her dog and I wrote back, okay, so just to review, um, you're prescribing club drugs and puppies. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, guess I am. I guess I
0: am. You're like, this is um, great. Yeah, yeah. So so ketamine. Um, yeah. What is it exactly? Like, what does it do?
1: Yeah. Okay. So ketamine, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. It is like, they use it for anesthesia in animals. They also use it for anesthesia in humans. And also people abuse it recreationally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, technically what it is, is anesthesia. Um, and when you use it like therapeutically for mental health, um, they give it to you at a lower dose than when they use it for anesthesia. So it's not like I'm out. Um mm-hmm. I'm not sure it might even still be a lower dose than when people use it recreationally. Um, but basically I want to say like, some study in like 2000 um, they found that people who I think I've been giving anesthesia for or given it as anesthesia started seeing their depression getting better too. And then in all of the studies, I mean, the thing with like SSRIs and, other traditional meds is they take like four to six weeks to work
0: mm-hmm. and
1: ketamine like if you are in like a really acute state if you're suicidal you don't have four to six weeks and they studied that ketamine can reduce suicidal thoughts in like a matter of hours um so it's just it's it's like kind of a miracle um so they And I think the year that I started doing it, they had approved it as a nasal spray. So I got it as IV, but they'd approved it as a nasal spray. um, And they like really fast tracked it through the FDA because it was, they discovered like how transformative it could be. Um, So they use it for like, basically they call it like treatment resistant depression, um, which is when you've tried, I think it's like at least two medications And you haven't responded as much as, I guess, like you'd want to. Um, At that time, I want to say I tried like 10. Mm. So um, yeah, I was definitely pretty treatment resistant. Um, So I started and I did, you do like a course of six infusions over two weeks to start. And I just like, even from the first one, I felt like a different person. Like, I've described it as my grandma had cataract surgery, and she woke up the next day and she's like, Oh my God, I can see. And like, that was how I felt the next day. Like, the fog of depression had been lifted, Mm -hmm. and I could like appreciate the things that were good in my life. And I even remember like, I was walking Lucy and just like really appreciating like the flowers. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really been transformative for me. Like my dad still talks about, like I called him coming home from the first infusion and how he said, I just like sounded like my old self and like he cried and
0: I'm
1: a crier. Dad.
0: <laughs> Aww. Well, that's so, that's amazing. And so is this something that is something you have to do pretty consistently?
1: So, some people respond really well to it, where they do this initial course of six infusions, and like mm-hmm. then they're good. Yep, i was not one of those people. Um, so I've been going back, like roughly monthly. Um, I'm trying to stretch it out more and more because mm-hmm. also it's very expensive. It's rarely covered by insurance. I mean, oh, and that's right. also, a, it's also a privilege. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky that I'm able to do this and like, it sucks that it's not more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I do it. I do it monthly now.
0: Yeah. 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 But it helps. I mean, I think that's so important. And even this idea of medications, like we're obviously in this like health space and everybody is like so naturally minded and holistic and all that. And I mean, we work with one-on-one clients all the time and they, they almost feel like a shame about using drugs or going on drugs. And I always say, I'm like, no shame in the game. I have been on the biologics. I have done all the infusions. Like sometimes you just need to be healthy and you need to do whatever you can do to be healthy and take care of yourself. Um, what do you, what do you have to say about that as far as like mental health? Because sometimes that's, it's, it's needed and like, sometimes people are so resistant to the drugs.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I was resistant myself too. So the psychiatrist that I talked about that I absolutely adore, I went to her first in 2014 and she was going to prescribe me an antidepressant. And I was like, Nope, I don't, I don't want to have to take something every day. Um, like I had definitely internalized a lot of that stigma. And then I went back like a year later and I was like, all right, yeah. And I, I remember I got in the subway after, I was still in New York and I just had like really mixed emotions of like, oh. like part of me like hates that like it got to this level. Um, but I was like, but I just want to feel better. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why the analogy that everyone always makes is diabetes like if you had diabetes, like you would take insulin. And I mean, it's really the same.
0: Yeah. And I think it goes back to quality of life. I mean, especially with like UC, I mean, I was that person that I was like, ah, I don't really need meds. Like I'll figure it out. But the longer you let that inflammation go, the worse you're gonna be. I mean, like you get so sick, you get so weak, like things get out of control. And I'm guessing mental health is kind of the same way if you just let it go. And it gets worse. You're just in such a worse place.
1: Yeah. And the thing that um my psychiatrist told me about antidepressants, which I think is like really important for people to know, and I don't think many people know is that, you know, they say it takes like four to six weeks for them to work, but that doesn't mean that like at six weeks, like, okay, now they're working and there had hasn't been anything before that. It just they start working gradually. And it's that they need that much time to like fully build up in your system, but like you're still getting some benefits. And also what she said to me was when I was like, Oh, I don't want to wait like six weeks to feel better. And she's like, well, how long have you already been waiting? And you know, you're not going to feel any better if you don't take them.
0: Yeah. It's like, what's the alternative?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, now for me coming from like the other perspective like medication is also a tool mm-hmm. that like helps people get more out of therapy
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: like yeah. medic medication and again I mean this goes back to accessibility too, like therapy is also not cheap which sucks mm-hmm. um but you know medication without therapy it's something it's something but like they're really like it's really best with therapy. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's tools. And I, I mean, I say this all the time it's never one thing, it's not one thing that made you feel better. It was the dogs and the drugs and the sunshine. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? these drugs mean, and sunshine. Yeah. I know. That should be your next blog. But, uh, <laughs> But same thing. I mean, it's never one thing, um, which is a nice transition to how you can proactively um, manage, you know, mental health situations and symptoms and things like that. Because I think a lot of us are in the same boat where we just let it build and build and build. till We get to a point where we're like, oh my God, like, what do I do? I mean, I was literally sitting on the couch for three months of my life because I just, yeah, I just got to that point, but, um, what from, I mean, I don't know if you want to go from like a personal perspective or, um, like a professional perspective. Um, but you know, what are some things that people can do, you know, like actually do to like start, you know, getting a head start on the stress and the, the BS that's going on in life right now.
1: Yeah. So I'll start kind of like personally and maybe like transition into a little more professionally. So, um, You know, like I've just talked about for like 20 minutes, like I was dealing with depression, like I was dealing with mental illness, and like I was kind of looking at mental health as managing illness, managing symptoms. And I finally kind of started making a shift to like, okay, yes, that's part of it. That's a reality for me. Um, But also mental wellness, like I deserve more than just to like my life just be that like, okay, I have these symptoms under control. Like I want mental wellness and especially now me going into this field, like it's a lot taking on, not taking on (laughs) hearing other people's problems. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an honor that people are trusting me, but it's definitely, it's really heavy. And, you know, I, I, started getting, oh my God, these terrible tension headaches. Most of 2021, I had terrible tension headaches. Mm. And that kind of really taught me, um, you know, that I had to take care of myself before things like that happened. And there's this author, Lori Gottlieb, she wrote, um, maybe you should talk to someone or something along those lines um but she has there's something that she says I'm going to butcher the actual quote but it's like along the lines of like you know if you were having heart trouble you wouldn't wait until you had a heart attack mm-hmm. to go to the doctor and it's like kind of the same with your mental health like i mean you know i think probably most of the kind of people listening to this podcast like manage their physical health more proactively and like we need to be doing that a lot more with your with our mental health and like you know I think also especially as women there's kind of a lot of guilt attached to that a lot of judgment mm-hmm. and you know I don't have any human children I only have my fur child but you know I'm I know it's even harder for parents of humans and um <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, and again, I, I'm just using all these cliches, but you know, like the cliche of like, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, whether you're a parent, whether you're a therapist, you're no good to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And even that aside, you owe more to yourself yeah. than just what you can be for other people. Um, so i I've, I've been hearing lately people use like the word "menu" of like a menu of self care things to do proactively, and I kind of like that idea because I think, I mean, especially kind of with social media, you see people like posting these like crazy morning routines of like, oh, I did like twenty seven things before eight o'clock, and. I think people kind of start seeing it as like all or nothing of like, Oh, well, if I didn't journal and this, this, and this, then like, Oh, well. Um, and also like different things will help you on different days and with different things that you're going through. Um, you know, I mean, and like some of it is, you know, the stuff that like, we all know, like, like journaling and meditation and like, that's the kind of stuff that keeps coming up because it works. Yeah, Um, You know, and like journaling, I feel like a lot of people get kind of resistant to it, but it just like, there's something to putting literal pen to literal paper and you're just getting those thoughts out of you and you're processing them in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily process them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even as now a therapist myself, like, you know, I still journal a lot between my sessions with my own therapist. And, you know, I come to like a lot of conclusions on my own and I'm like, I have no idea where that came from. And I mean, like even back in the day, blogging was kind of like, oh my God, kind of like journaling for an audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, even, even then I remember my mom being like, wow, I didn't know you felt that way. And I was like, I didn't either until I wrote it. Um, so, you know, like journaling, meditating. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably work out already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think also as far as working out, um, I know that this is something that Tina talks about a lot of like, you know, maybe it's not the orange theory or the CrossFit, <laughs> like, it's
0: <laughs> I, I just want to. And one thing about that. So I did start to feel a little bit bad that I was saying so much. I wasn't saying bad things about orange theory. It wasn't orange theory. It was the type of workout, but I have got so many followers and clients from talking about this because people can relate. They right. get it. They're like, it's too much for our bodies. But anyways, back to.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's what your nervous system needs yeah. like some days you do need a really difficult workout like i listeners i had therapy like an hour before this and i texted tina i had a really intense session um i text and i was feeling really keyed up and really anxious and i texted tina and i was like hey can we like push this back a few minutes i like really need to like just kind of get this energy out You know, so like if you're having a day like that where like you feel keyed up, like maybe you need to release that energy and you do need to run, but like, you know, maybe on another day you don't have as much energy and you need to do something a little bit more restorative. Um, You know, cheesy, like everyone says it, but like truly like listening to your body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing um, is, I like the idea of keeping like a note on your phone or a note, like wherever of just like noticing like things that you've done that have brought you some kind of joy that you can go back to that when you're struggling and like have that menu and not just be like, oh shit. Well, I feel like shit now. What do I do? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. I think also just kind of going back to like listening to your body, but just almost like having an awareness that you are stressed. Cause I think some of us are such in like tunnel vision, automation mode. I need to go to work. I need to pick up the kids. I need to make dinner. Like you don't even realize like how stressed you are until something major happens. Um, But I think it's also just kind of, it's like cheesy to say, I know like listen to your body, but like even just like (laughs) slowing down, you know what I mean? And just like taking a second to like breathe. like i just don't right. think, i think we're just so programmed to just go 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 all the time so like somebody right. in that situation where they like don't even realize that they're stressed like how i guess maybe on the therapy front or like on the therapist like like view of this like how would you get them to kind of realize or slow down because i almost feel like that's kind of like the first step to be like oh actually i'm really stressed
1: yeah i mean so first of all I, you know, I had to take a couple of addiction classes in school and like that go, go, go. And that staying busy, that's an addiction. Totally. That's an addiction. Like that's a way to numb. That's a way to like, not have to check in with yourself and not listen to what's going on. Um, But you said like, how do you know that you're stressed? Like your body knows Mm -hmm. you might not consciously know, but like, your body knows, like if your stomach is always upset, like if your heart is racing, like your body knows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we, I know Tina has read "The Body Keeps the Score." Oh yeah, that's a good. Um, <laughs> see it; it's on my. shelf. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but our emotions get stored in our body, and the body doesn't know the difference between like quote unquote good stress and bad stress. Like a really good example of that is my cousin over the course, in the course of like 18 months, got married, moved from Connecticut to New Jersey, moved, um, moved twice actually, and had a baby. All great things but she oh and her dad got diagnosed with cancer so there was also that too Mm -hmm. other than that all great things but all just so much stress so quickly that she ended up with really bad postpartum depression
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean kind of going back to what you were saying about like that addiction almost like for some of us me, maybe um, it's almost comfortable to be in that state of stress. You know what I mean? Like you said, it can't, it's not negative stress. I mean, like I had this amazing job. I had a million clients. Like I, there were so many, a book deal. There was so many good things happening in my life, but it was almost, uncomfortable for me to slow down and sit on the couch and I mean I still kind of joke about this like sitting on the couch is hard for me some days where I'm like should I be reading a book should I be like taking notes like I like can't sit still but it's because like you're so used to being in that like 100% go 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 situation all
1: the (laughs) time yeah I mean yeah and our and that that gets engraved maybe not the right word but i'm going to use engraved like into our neural pathways and like our bodies are just always looking for homeostasis and if we're constantly putting our bodies under stress like they become used to that and i said once to my therapist i was like i think i really thrive on stress she's like yes <laughs> do you though do you think that's stri- thriving mhm <laughs>
0: It's like you thrive until you don't. And like, this is the whole like cortisol stuff that I've been talking about, like cortisol, adrenaline, that will take you a long way. But then you get to a point where the body's like, nope, done. As far as like the physical aspect of it. Um. So somebody who's listening right now, who is like, all right, I am stressed. I need to do something about it. What would you, what would you say would be like the one thing they can do or just like the first step? Because sometimes it's kind of overwhelming to take the steps in the right direction.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. I mean- I think the the first step is acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I keep saying this, but like listening to yourself and like just kind of having like an honest check-in with yourself and just like taking a little quiet time and either just like thinking or journaling and being like, what am I actually feeling right now? and not be ashamed of whatever that is. Um, You know, I think some, we feel shame about a lot of our emotions and emotions are kind of just information. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Shame is like, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: um, You know, and there's like a, there's like a phrase that they use in therapy of like, name it to tame it. Like you can't, you can't kind of work through something if you don't know what you're working through.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I was just going to say like, shame is such like a key like theme as far as like working through a lot of this, like inner (laughs) stuff. And then also just, you know, like you were saying, like with the shame piece, but like like being curious about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not being judgmental. Cause I think a lot of times, especially women, we're just so hard on ourselves. And I just yeah. think like being nice <laughs> and just being curious, like, oh, I'm thinking this way or stressed out because of this. And like, just being curious about that instead of being like, oh, this is like so bad and negative or whatever it is. I just feel like we're just so yeah. hard on ourselves. Well,
1: and, and almost kind of the opposite of that. Like, it's not the suffering Olympics. Like, you know, we are very lucky that we are sitting safely in our homes right now, working from a computer, you know, there's a war going on in Ukraine, but like, just because we're not struggling on that level doesn't mean that our own struggles
0: are not struggles. Yes, yes. I think that's important to point out for sure. Um, Before we wrap up, um, I would love to know what's next for you. Like what's, what's happening after grad school? What do you got going on? Oh my God,
1: Tina, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I have been already seeing clients for the past like year and a half. Um, I'm currently working at a community mental health clinic. Um, that's part-time. I'm hoping to like start working in private practice in the next couple months and I'll be like under someone. But, um, like if someone is listening to this, like I will be able to like, kind of take on clients like more directly in a couple months.
0: Oh, um, cool. Are you doing virtual? Yeah. Yeah. So you can work with anybody. Awesome.
1: Okay. Anybody in California.
0: Oh, in California. Okay.
1: Just California people guys. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. California is big state though. So yeah, that's
0: true. Got a lot of people to choose from. <laughs> Well, that's very exciting. And then, um, any projects or writing or anything like that? What a good question.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean like my ultimate goal is to be doing something like giving back, like kind of like I'm currently doing, giving access to people who can't afford to spend a lot of money on therapy, working in private practice. And then I can't give up writing. Um, I, I'm hopefully going to either relaunch my Patreon, start a newsletter, um, something like that.
0: Mm, Hmm. Very exciting. We'll be sure to include places to find you links, all that stuff, but yeah. What are the best places to find you? I know you're on Instagram anywhere else.
1: Um, and I'm on Instagram as the adorable. I am on Twitter as T Blanchfield, um, when I got into Instagram, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be a thing. I, so I didn't think I needed to be consistent with names. Here we are. Yeah. Um, and my websites are preppyrunner.com and theodoreblanchfield.com.
0: Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of the Keres and Cake podcast. It's obviously very nice to catch up with you too and see your wonderful face. I guess you guys can't see Theodora's face, but we are <laughs> both very comfortable on zoom right now.
1: <laughs> i'm in bed you can't see that but i am in bed it's
0: great yeah and i'm wearing my pug rug which i think <laughs> got some airtime on instagram at some point but it's it's what are they called the cozies or whatever i don't know it's big and fleecy and wonderful <laughs> <laughs> but anyways thank you theodora for being here definitely check out theodora and all of the places we've mentioned and yeah we'll see you guys on the next episode thank you so much